Sunday. According to some scientists, humanity's impact on the Earth is now so profound that a new geological epoch, the Anthropocene, needs to be declared. This new epoch should begin about 1950 and would be defined by the radioactive elements dispersed across the planet by nuclear bomb tests and include other signals such as plastic pollution, soot from power stations, concrete and even the bones left by the global proliferation of the domestic chicken. According to an article exploring this in The Guardian, the current epoch, the Holocene, represents the 12,000 years of stable climate since the last ice age, during which all human civilization developed. But the striking acceleration since the mid-20th century of carbon dioxide emissions and sea level rise, the global mass extinction of species and the transformation of land by deforestation and development mark the end of that slice of geological time. The Earth is so profoundly changed that the Holocene must give way to the Anthropocene. Oh grief, oh grief, I'll tell you why. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. We, as in us, as in humanity, we have ruled as tyrants over creation. We know this. But now, many of us, including many who work in the space of ecology and science, we are now beginning to realise that we must become servants rather than masters of this earth. Now, of course, there are many possible ways to explore this space of servanthood. Servant from the old French present particle to severe, to attend, to wait upon. Many ways for us to attend and to wait upon the earth. Simply being present to the wonder, to the beauty. Well, this is a start. Because once we pay attention, once we attend to the beauty, how can we not be moved to fight for it? One of the more radical ways of attending comes to us in the shape of rewilding. Now we've talked about the concept of rewilding a number of times in this space. We've talked about how it's all about reintroducing species who have been hunted or driven out of their natural homes and of how these creatures can powerfully restore the land and the sea. You might remember the story of how the wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park which sent the deer that were stripping the lowlands up to the hills, which saw the forest rejuvenate and the water stop being so clogged and of how the beavers returned, etc, etc. But another way that rewilding is now being explored is not just through the reintroduction of species, but also in a kind of giving back. A giving back of nature to nature. Now, farmer Isabella Tree tells the story of the NEP experiment. This was a, a pioneering rewilding project in West Sussex. Tree and her husband were forced to accept that intensive farming on the heavy clay of their land at Nep was completely unsustainable. And so made, they made this sort of spectacular leap of faith and they decided to step back and to let nature take over. And thanks to the introduction of free roaming cattle, ponies, pigs and deer, proxies of the large animals that once roamed Britain, 
the 3,500-acre project has seen extraordinary increases in wildlife numbers and diversity in little over a decade. Extremely rare species including turtle doves and nightingales, peregrine falcons, lesser spotted woodpeckers and purple emperor butterflies are now breeding at NEP and populations of other species are rocketing. The degraded agricultural land has become a functioning ecosystem again. Tree writes of how, at the start of the transition, the land, released from its cycle of drudgery, seemed to breathe a sigh of relief. And of how most conspicuous for her was the noise. The low, level, surround, thrum of insects. She writes, we walked knee-deep through ox-eye daisies, birds, foot, trefoil, ragged robin, knapweed, and there was this feeling of life rebounding. Barking foxes, roaring stags, the very ground beneath our feet coming to life again. With worm cast and anthills, dung beetles, fruiting bodies of fungi, moles, the land is heaving with life all by itself. In the reading from Mark today, Jesus is requiring a type of monumental shift in consciousness. You who have been lords must now be servants. And this same radical shift is exactly what is required of humanity if the earth is to survive. One of our early prophets in this space was the scientist Rachel Carson, a biologist who, in the words of journalist Maria Popova, ejected the human animal from its hubristic place at the centre of the earth's ecological cosmos and recast it as one of the myriad organisms, all worthy of wonder, all imbued with life and reality. The message of her iconic book, Silent Spring, about the impacts of DDT, rippled across public policy and the population's imagination, and it led to the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency and inspired generations of activists. Now, my sense is that for many of us, we can feel completely overwhelmed by the extremes of climate change. And that for many of us, the world of activism and rewilding can feel impossibly remote and heavy and completely impractical in the context of our day-to-day -day lives. Am I right? But what many of us can forget is that there is also a great and deep and abiding peace and joy that can come to us from doing all that we can all that we can with what we have to be part of making a difference. Writing to a close friend about her controversial book, Rachel Carson said, I know you dread the unpleasantness that will inevitably be associated with the book's publication. I can understand that, my darling. But it is something I have taken into account. It will not surprise me, knowing what I do, that there would be no future peace for me if I kept silent. It is, in the deepest sense, a privilege as well as a duty. Now, Rachel, at this point, was living a reasonably impoverished life. She was caring for her mother and the orphaned um, child of her sister. She was uh, at the centre of controversy. There were people threatening her from all over. There was danger in this work. After Carson received news from the publisher that the book was to be published, she wrote, I took Jeffy, my cat, into the study and I played the Beethoven violin concerto, one of my favourites, you know. And suddenly the tensions of four years were broken. And I got down and I put my arms around Jeffy and I let the tears come 
With his little warm rough tongue, he told me that he understood. I, I, I think I let you see last summer what my deeper feelings are about this when I said I could never again listen happily to a thrush song if I had not done all I could. And last night, the thought of all the birds and the other creatures and the, and the loveliness, it came to me with such a surge of deep happiness that now I had done all I could, all I could to help. Rachel became a servant to nature. She took herself and us out of the role of leader and expert and threw us deep into the ecological mix of wonder that is stag and fox and bandicoot and mould and moss and lark. For those of us who consider ourselves to be panentheists, who believe, in other words, that God is imminent in the world just as the world is imminent in God, such a journey from master of nature to servant of creation is no great leap. For there is no place in this spinning galaxy that God is not. And there is no creature or rock that God is not part of. Therefore, how can we not bow down? Bow down and defend and honour with our every breath this beloved planet. <laughs>